This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Since Hamas's October 7th attack on Israel, where Hamas kidnapped, killed and brutalized more than a thousand Israeli men, women and children, the Israeli Defense Force's response has killed at least 22,000 Gazan men, women and children, according to the Gaza Health Ministry. The conflict has also spilled over into the West Bank. On December 27th, the UN High Commission on Human Rights issued a report outlining human rights violations documented by the OHCHR in the West Bank. The UN report states that between October 7th to December 27th, Israeli security forces conducted mass arrests detaining more than 4,700 Palestinians. Ajit Sungay is the head of the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights in the occupied Palestinian territory. It has happened in the past, but nothing compared to the numbers we've seen now. It's about 4,700 Palestinians from West Bank who are now in detention, many of them in administrative detention. Reasons unknown. Families do not know about uh, those reasons. And many of them have no criminal reasons or background. Sungay says more than 490 Palestinians in the West Bank have been killed, the highest number since UN records began in 2005. We've seen Israeli security forces using tactics and weapons that are basically used in, a, an, on, in an armed conflict. For instance, airstrikes, use of drones, use of snipers, thousands of troops, etc., etc. Where, in fact, in West Bank, the force that should be used is as if there is a law enforcement legal framework. So those two have led in massive casualties. Sungay also adds that the UN finds that escalation is taking an even greater toll on West Bank Palestinians due to mobility restrictions that were already in place. Palestinians are unable to move at this stage between towns, between communities. There are major roadblocks, there are earth mounds, there are flying checkpoints, there are military checkpoints, and so on and so forth, which has massively impacted on the community, on their business, their school, and their day-to-day life, basically. And, and you know, has a impacted uh, a range of what we call as the economic, social, cultural rights of Palestinians. The UN also says that Israeli settlers have taken advantage of the conflict in the West Bank and accelerated their displacement of Palestinians, including attacking West Bank communities and poisoning and vandalizing olive trees to prevent the harvest. And in its report, the UN issues an urgent call to all nations, quote, especially nations with influence, to do all they can to stop the spread of violence in the West Bank. Well, just this weekend, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken was in the region. Upon landing in Jordan, he insisted the U.S. continues to do all it can. As we've said from day one, uh, we have an intense focus on preventing this conflict from spreading. Uh, And a big part of the conversations we'll be having over the coming days with all of our allies and partners is looking at the steps that they can take using the influence and ties that they have uh, to do just that, to make sure that this conflict doesn't spread. Well, today we're going to focus extensively on what's happening in the West Bank. And we'll begin with Ibrahim Dal-Alsha. He's the director at the Horizon Center for Political Studies and Media Outreach. It's a think tank in Ramallah in the West Bank. Later on in the show, we'll hear from Israeli analyst Menachem Klein. But first, Ibrahim Del Alsha, welcome to On Point. 
Thank you for having me. And I want thank to, you. I want to first note that you're actually speaking to us today from Florida. Uh, you were able to come to the United States for family purposes, but I wonder if you could first of all describe what happened in uh, regarding those mobility restrictions to Palestinians in the West Bank, uh, and particularly for you following October 7th? Yeah. Uh, when talking about mobility in the in the West Bank, I just have to uh, actually uh, tell you uh, that uh, uh, there are so many um, eruptions, so many um, uh, problems uh, in, in terms of movement, uh, access, uh, uh, and the like. But uh, one of the biggest problems that we have been experiencing in the West Bank following the October uh, 7 attacks is the collective uh, measures uh, and punishment that has been uh, placed on the entire West Bank and its population. And uh, when, uh, when you actually take that down to personal level, uh, you know, I, as someone who has been uh, allowed to enter into uh, Jerusalem, which is part of the West Bank, except for Israeli uh, illegal annexation of it, uh, and there are Palestinians who actually live in that uh, in that part. I have my daughters and and my granddaughters living there, and I have not really been able to visit them. It was much easier for me to come to Florida than actually going to uh, visit my granddaughters, who are like five miles away from me. Uh, the the impact, uh, you know, people speak of social rights, of uh, uh, political rights, of uh, all kinds of, uh, you know, categories that are defined. But I think what is missing from this is the human personal element of huge frustration and anger of being subjected to punishment while you basically have nothing to do with what's happening, not the horrific attacks that were carried out in uh, against Israel uh, on October 7. Uh, and not even the ensuing Israeli retaliations against the civilian population in Gaza. So, you know, the the experience is just going from, um, from uh, bad to worse. Mm. Uh, and when we take it to the human personal level of it, it's indescribable. Uh, although, you know, like, uh, you know, reports and, and, and documentation of uh, violations are out there, but I think what is missing is the human element mm -hmm. in it, mm -hmm. which is, I think, much more powerful than any ink can write in terms of, you know, how you describe this. Because the way I feel it um, is, very, is very plain and simple. I'm just being punished for being a Palestinian living in my own hometown. And incidentally, I was born in Jerusalem. Mm. So to be clear, uh, you've had permits to enter Jerusalem for a couple of decades. Um, and it, even though it was challenging, you were successfully able to go in and out of Jerusalem. And as of October 7th, that is no longer possible for you or any Palestinian. Correct. Has that ever happened before? Uh, the truth is no, because before uh, you would actually, and, and even there, you know, there's, a, as you said, like there's a little bit of suffering and basically eventually you get it. So you're subjected to a security check screening. You do not pose uh, a threat and then you're basically given a permit and allowed. But this time around, it doesn't really matter who you are and what you are and what's your security background. There is a blanket uh, closure. Uh, which actually prevents people from going to Jerusalem. And as the report mentioned, it's not only about entering Jerusalem, it's on, also about moving in the West Bank. So, you know, like the, 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 the 
collective punishment here is being applied in a in a blanket way without actually you know making any differences uh, with an individual it doesn't really matter uh, whether you had it before or not it's just a blanket uh, mm. uh, measure that is being applied on all mm. how else has day to day life changed uh in the West Bank? I mean, what kind of actions are people seeing from the Israeli security forces? We'll talk about settlers in a moment, but what do you think is important to understand for how day-to-day life has changed in the West Bank? Uh, you know, to, to to be honest with you, I think that the, uh, first of all, the situation in the West Bank before October 7 was not, it was not easy and was not calm either. So the, you know, it has worsened indeed, but it, it, um, it didn't really come uh, out of a total calm into like a, a tension uh, reality. So, uh, you know, we had uh, something like, uh, you know, 500 uh, uh, people killed in the in the West Bank uh, during confrontations, uh, during Israeli army incursions into Palestinian towns. Uh, true that uh, 320 or more of those were actually killed after October 7, mm-hmm. uh, but we still had incidents happening. Now, you know, I think the major uh, 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 difference has been the uh, erection of uh, 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 flying checkpoints and roadblocks across the people from moving, you know, moving from one town into the other within the West Bank. And that's not about crossing into Israel or Jerusalem. This is basically, uh, you know, moving from one town to the other, from from Nablus to Ramallah, from Ramallah to Jenin to Hebron, you know, the the Palestinian communities and population centers that we have in the West Bank. And, you know, there was no real sort of like justification or reason uh, given meant to uh, minimize friction uh, between Israelis uh, and, and Palestinians in the West Bank, meaning Israeli settlers who live in the West Bank. And again, you know, when you look at this situation, as a Palestinian, you actually feel that even when it comes to preventing worse evil, you know, there are no restrictions whatsoever on Israeli settlers. These have to be on Palestinian population, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of their motives and regardless whether Palestinians are attacking settlers or not. In fact, you know, there are, the, the records are, and statistically is proven, that settlers are the ones who are basically attacking Palestinians, not the other way around. But still, you know, like the Palestinians who are being subjected to this uh, I think, you know, in addition to arrests, mass arrests that have been uh, taking place since October 7, uh, and many of those who are talking about thousands of cases, uh, 2,500 are still uh, kept in custody since October 7. Uh, and, uh, you know, about 13 or 1,400 of those have been placed under administrative actually means that there are no charges and there is no prosecution. This is just a precautionary, precautionary kind of, uh, you know, pre- preemptive type of, uh, 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 of detention. detention. Yeah. Yes, on 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 suspicion that you may or may not have been involved in any, uh, you know, sort of like anti-Israeli uh, activities in, in in those areas. Mm. Well, Ibrahim Dal Alsha, stand by for just a moment. We're heading towards our first break here. When we come back, I'm going to want to talk with you about uh, what you think, I mean, you've been a political analyst in the West Bank uh, for quite some time, and what you think the intention here is of the Israeli government, um, given that its statement was to eradicate Hamas in Gaza. So today we're talking about the reality of life on the ground in the West Bank. We'll hear from Israeli analyst Menachem Klein 
a little later in the show. We'll be back. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com onpoint. That's Indeed.com onpoint. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and Ibrahim Dal-Alsha joins us today. He's the director of the Horizon Center for Political Studies and Media Outreach. It's a think tank in Ramallah in the West Bank. Uh, we're talking about the situation in the West Bank right now. Uh, and Ibrahim, we discussed the mass arrests that have been taking place, um, as documented also by the UN High Commission for Human Rights. Uh, we've talked about the the increase in the number of uh, killings of Palestinians in the West Bank. But I also want to know what those uh, movement restrictions, the, the domino effect it's having on the West Bank as a whole, because if people can't move around or get into Jerusalem, as you were talking about before, that means they can't get to work either. Is there a broader impact across the West Bank? Yes, in fact, uh, when we talk about the uh, broader impact, uh, especially in terms of employment, um, I mean, it's it's double effect. One is that we have more than uh, roughly 200,000 Palestinian workers who had permits to work inside Israel uh, who have been denied work since, since October 7th. Uh, this actually represents about 33% of the uh, income that actually comes into the West Bank. Uh, and that that is coupled with uh, an Israeli government measure against the Palestinian Authority, that which hires actually 190,000 people uh, by withholding tax revenues that Israel collects on behalf of the Palestinians. Uh, which actually resulted in a situation where the two major pipes of income into the West Bank, the public sector employees who basically are unpaid or paid 50% of their salaries, and then, you know, like the 200,000 or so Palestinian workers working in Israel with no income. And you can imagine that those are like the two main pipes of income into the West Bank have been cut since October 7. So in terms of the economic hardships, the purchasing power of people, you know, the uh, uh, the flow of cash in the local market has actually been hit very hard in the past three months. Um, you know, this is coupled with 
you know, the movement restrictions and, and, and all of that. I mean, you know, like it's essentially a situation where it's a total standstill of an entire community waiting for, uh, you know, uh, the situation to unfold in Gaza because the impression is that these measures in the West Bank have been applied because of the situation in Gaza. Mm. Now, so, yeah. Well, as you know, the December 27th report from the UN um, issued strong recommendations to the government of Israel, saying that uh, the UN wants the government of Israel to urgently take steps, urgently, it says, to stop the killing and unlawful detention of Palestinians in the West Bank, end the use of military weapons and operations uh, there, and issue clear and unambiguous orders to all Israeli security forces regarding um, uh, the effective protection of the Palestinian population and stop incidents of settler violence there. Now, presuming that uh, little of these things will happen, I, I mean, I don't know if the Israeli government has issued any statement about whether or not it will comply with the UN, but what may happen in the West Bank, Ibrahim, if these actions are not taken? Uh, I want to tell you that I, you know, I follow Israeli uh, media very closely, and I don't really think that the uh, Israeli government uh, gives any uh, serious regard to uh, UN or its recommendations. Uh, it has not happened before, and I actually uh, would be pleasantly surprised if it does happen uh, this time or any other uh, time in the future. But, you know, I want to tell you that... Um, there are like reliable uh, uh, reports out there in the Israeli uh, media that talks about Israeli security establishment recommendations to the Israeli government on specific aspects and measures that are being applied in the West Bank, mainly, uh, you know, when it comes to employment, when it comes to Palestinian workers not being able to come to work in Israel and the impact that this has on Israeli economy and on the West Bank, you know, uh, uh, social, economic, and security uh, uh, situation in terms of the negative impact that it will have. In fact, even warning that this could actually worsen the situation to an eruption mm. uh, of violence. Um, so, you know, I, I think we have a very, uh, you know, serious situation and a problem there. And I don't, uh, you know, uh, actually um, reveal a secret by saying that on the current Israeli government uh, and cabinet, uh, we, we have, uh, uh, or you know, there are Israeli extremists, far-right uh, uh, ministers whose uh, uh, intentions, as declared, uh, are not really to come to terms with uh, the, uh, you know, uh, security, tranquility, stability in the West Bank. In fact, it's all about uh, far-right uh, nationalist agenda uh, in terms of uh, you know depopulating uh, the uh, the West Bank and uh, uh, and the Gaza Strip, mm. uh, so here we're talking about an ideology uh, driven policy rather than uh, uh, you know a, a policy that is driven on factors of security, stability, uh, and coexistence. Um, and the you know the the question that you asked before, and I'm sorry to say it, but I have actually spent. 30 years of my professional life working and advocating on, you know, like uh, issues that related to uh, coexistence, um, uh, finding a peaceful resolution, uh, the so-called two-state solution 
to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And uh, I increasingly feel that uh, not only that I and, and fellow, uh, you know, unlike-minded uh, people have been disappointed, but I think basically that we are losing it to extremists on both sides who want to control the agenda into an endless conflict. So the short answer to your question is that there will be an eruption. And that eruption of violence is 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 becoming the main uh, feature of the Israeli-Palestinian uh, reality. Once every 15 to 20 years, with new generations coming in, whether Palestinians or Israelis, the only course of, of action, the reality that they face, is a major eruption, after which they get tired, they sort of like rest a bit, and then it comes back again mm -hmm. with ups and downs. I mean, you know, it doesn't really take a genius. If you follow this from 1967 all the way until today, it's every 15 years you have a major eruption because there is no political solution to the conflict that is being embraced by neither side. Mm. And I'm not going to advocate for a political solution now. I'm just saying uh, that so long as there is no political solution other than, you know, repeated eruptions of violence. Yeah. And the sad reality is each time it's even much worse than what happened before. Right. Well, Ibrahim, um, I'd like you to just stand by for a moment because I want to bring in Menachem Klein into the conversation. He's Professor Emeritus at the Bar Ilan University in Israel, and he's with us from Jerusalem. Professor Klein, welcome to you. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. So first of all, you heard what Ibrahim Dalalsha has been saying. Let's focus on the possibility of a, a much larger eruption of violence in the West Bank. Do you do you think the continued operations of Israeli security forces there could not just lead to this uh, eruption in the West Bank, but spill over into the more into the region more broadly, such as you know Jordan next door? It it may spill over if there are extreme right wing elements in our government will have a chance to implement their forced immigration transfer plan to push maximum West Bank Palestinians to Jordan. This is their, their scenario. This is their preferred solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Unlike Netanyahu and company, mainstream Israeli cabinet ministers that want to continue conflict management, they, they want to solve it by immigration, forced immigration, uh, the, the, the conflict. The, neither the extremists nor the mainstream call to go back for, to talks on solving the conflict through, through peaceful means go back to two-state solutions or one state equally to everybody, uh, to every person, one person, one vote, or two, two collectives in one state, a federal state. Never mind, they don't want it. They want Jewish supremacy. And Jewish supremacy can, today is a kind of... A, Apartheid style in, in, in the West Bank. Uh, Israel uses apartheid methods in the West Bank, not inside Israel, according to my analysis, neither in Gaza Strip before October mm. 7, but in the West Bank, yes. 
actually what we have in the West Bank, and, and here this is a fundamental question that clarifies the situation. Is there a border between West Bank and Israel? And if there is a border, to whom, to which collective this border is meaningful? Now, if there is a border, it is not a border for the Israelis. Israel, Israeli Jews expand into the West Bank. If there is a border, or, or many borders actually, and here I, I, I agree with my colleague on the flying, <clears throat> flying roadblocks and flying borders, uh, these borders are relevant only for the Palestinians. Mm. And we have to, to, to t bear in mind this situation. So, Professor Klein, I mean, what you're talking about here is the far right of wing of the Israeli government, just to restate what you were saying, is actually wishes for far more than an end to the current conflict. And they're wishing for an expulsion of Palestinians from the West Bank. Now, according to what you're saying, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu often, not always, but often continues to insist that the goal of the Israeli government right now is an uh, eradication of Hamas. Now, with the continued actions of Israeli security forces in West Bank as they are, uh, does, that, does that not undermine um, not just the West Bank, the Palestinian people living there, but the Palestinian Authority as well, who would be needed for any resolution to the current conflict? Or, or does the... Does the, the Israeli war cabinet not care? The, the Netanyahu and the mainstream in the cabinet, they don't want the Palestinian Authority to enter Gaza Strip. They are afraid that once the Gaza Strip or the political force managing Gaza Strip and the one managing the West Bank unite under one regime, this is the the first step towards a Palestinian state. All cabinet ministers, present cabinet ministers in, the, in Israel, they rule out any option of having a Palestinian state, and they want and they work since 2007 the, to, div, to divide West Bank and Gaza Strip politically, and they maintain the rivalry between Hamas and Fatah in, in the West Bank. Mm -hmm. So they don't want them to, to unite. They don't want Abba, Mahmoud Abbas regime to enter into the, uh, the, the Gaza Strip. The key question is whether the United States that is interested to see Ramallah managing Gaza, uh, whether the, this administration is ready to put heavy pressure on the Israeli government. Mm -hmm. I doubt about that. So I want to come back to that point in a moment. And Ibrahim, I'll, I'll return to you here. But Professor Klein, who has control of the Israeli war cabinet right now? Uh, the majority is uh, Netanyahu and the mini war cabinet, which uh, is formed up with ex-generals party. Um, they are they are mainstream right-wing uh, persons. So the, the, the 
permanent agreement solution, uh, they rule the, the cabinet, they want a conflict management, they don't want conflict resolution, they don't want even uh, a Palestinian state to see a Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza. Uh, they mistrust mm. the uh, Abbas regime, they mistrust Fatah, um, and uh, they are unwilling to open negotiations uh, on final status agreement. Ibrahim yeah. Dal-Alsha, I appreciate your patience here. I'm sure you have uh, many thoughts about what Professor Klein is saying. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I do, and I think, uh, frankly, the uh, you know the the reality is that uh, two uh, decades uh, before uh, October seven, uh, we had uh, you know the uh, second intifada at the time, um, which was actually followed by uh, uh, resumption of security coordination between Israeli uh, security forces and Palestinian. Uh, uh, authority security forces. Uh, since 2005, when uh, President Abbas was elected as the president of the Palestinian Authority, uh, we had three uh, U.S. administrations uh, under Bush and twice under President Obama uh, trying to move forward with uh, a political solution to the uh, to the conflict, and uh, the three attempts failed. Now, regardless who's to blame for the failure, at the end of the day, it failed, and we entered into a new major eruption. And my uh, my thinking, and I'm actually Actually, uh, sorry to say that, but I think, uh, you know, I differentiate between what I think will happen and what should happen. Mm. Uh, I think what should happen is essentially a process, even if it's a lengthy process, no one needs to trust anyone. I mean, the Israeli logic of basically wanting to have Palestinians as loyal citizens of the state of Israel without having uh, uh, Israeli passports and nationality and rights is not going to happen. And, you know, separation between Palestinians and Israelis is a path that could be taken, uh, uh, even if it goes gradual. So instead of actually spending, uh, you know, the next 20 years uh, uh, deepening the occupation and building more settlements and increasing Israeli settlers um, and boosting them in, in, in the West Bank territory, you could actually do otherwise, which is like deoccupying. Uh, 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 certain uh, uh, parts of the West Bank and let Palestinians basically uh, have an entity of their own on a gradual mm. basis. That's what should happen. What will not ha- it's not going to happen. I think that the Israeli uh, uh, mainstream now is actually mobilized by force uh, uh, to actually uh, hit Hamas uh, and causing collateral damage of 70% uh, of Palestinian victims that were killed in Gaza are civilians uh, documented to be uh, uh, women and children. Ibrahim Dal-Alsha, I'm so sorry. I I will let you complete your thought in just a moment, but we just have to take this very quick break. So we'll be right back. This is On Point. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. 
and a search for the truth once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. You're back with On Point. I'm Magna Chakrabarty, and today we're discussing the situation currently on the ground in the West Bank. And Menachem Klein joins us. He's Professor Emeritus at the Bar Elon University in Israel. And Ibrahim Dal-Alsha is with us as well. He's director of the Horizon Center for Political Studies and Media Outreach in Ramallah in the West Bank. And I apologize for having had to interrupt you a little earlier, Ibrahim. We just had to take that break. Please go ahead and continue um, your thought on what you think will happen in the West Bank versus what uh, you think should happen. Yes, I, I, I think, uh, frankly, the uh, the situation is as such that you have uh, uh, far-right uh, ideology, as my uh, colleague uh, just explained on the Israeli side. And I have to tell you that, you know, we, we had a mainstream camp uh, on the Palestinian side advocating for a two-state solution, Mm -hmm. uh, coexistence and peace. And my worry is that after October 7 and the ensuing war, uh, I think that the uh, extremists on our side too have the high ground. And, you know, if uh, there are Israeli ministers who are thinking of expelling Palestinians into Jordan and elsewhere, we are uh, witnessing a period of radicalization on the Palestinian side where people are saying, you know, we have been advocating for attacking, we actually need to go back where we come from because, you know, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict did not really start in 1967. It started in 1948. So there are even more voices now who are basically saying Haifa, uh, Yaffa, uh, and, uh, and, and incidentally, 70% of Palestinians are refugees who have been expelled from those areas before 1967. Uh, and therefore, the radicalization is becoming and the, and the extremism is actually taking over. So... Um, you know, whether they will be able to materialize that or not, it doesn't really matter. Israel is like a strong country, powerful, we've got military, so it won't really happen that way. Uh, but it actually means that the conflict will continue mm. and the worst is yet to come. Yeah. Well, Professor Klein, let me ask you, it's quite something to hear Ibrahim Dal-Alsha say, him having been a long-term supporter of a two-state solution, and at least at this moment, feeling far less hope that that might ever come to pass. Now, we also know that uh, Israel's far right has basically never wanted a two-state solution. I mean, in a sense, are we at a point now where virtually all hope is lost for that path towards peace in the region? Many people lost hope, also in, Is also in Israel. But among my colleagues to the supporters and activists for two-state solution, I started hearing new voices that we made mistakes in our proposals in during Oslo time. Um, in our our concept were wrong. We should rethink and go back in much different, a proposal or go go back to negotiate and offer a very different concept of a two-state solution. 
be it a conf confederation, be it a, or let's uh, let's say it in so many words, treat differently with the 1948 refugees issues and the Palestinian attachment to Jaffa and Haifa, the uh, the right to return to their places, uh, seeing seeing 40, 48 areas or the sovereign Israel areas as part of Palestinian history. All these are now open for, to reconsideration among Israeli leftists among, in, within the, the peace camp. The, the de facto one regime that we have all over the, the the area, from Jordan River to the to the Mediterranean Sea, this creates new thinking, even inside the Israeli left and the, what remained from uh, in the Pisca, what remained of the Pisca. Uh, so there are new thinking there. And hopefully, once the international community resume its interest in final status agreement, there, there are new thoughts that we can build on. Mm. But I, I fully agree with my colleague. It's at the, at the moment, there is a, a process of radicalization. Jewish supremacy is very popular in the Israeli public, the, the not only the party, the public mind is built around Jewish supremacy, and a, a, a movement that uh, Kahana Gang movement, uh -huh. racist movement that was once small minority, now is is inside the mainstream, not only the cabinet, but yes. In, in public opinion, I've seen. I've been reading in the Israeli press, um, reporting that, uh, for example, far right um, security minister Itmar Ben Vir is getting more popular uh, in the Israeli mainstream, and um, there's even some concern that uh, if an election were to be held, maybe he could come close or even to topple Benjamin Netanyahu. Now, um, Ibrahim Dal Alsha. Uh, just want to take one moment. We've been focusing on Israel and the Israeli government and military for obvious reasons. But I want to hear a little bit more from you about something that you mentioned in an interview in The New Yorker a magazine. You were you were asked about um, uh, that it, that in regarding Hamas. Uh, that uh, Palestinian support for Hamas may be increasing now due to the the destruction that has been going on in Gaza. And they also asked you if there's any feeling that uh, Hamas's action have caused the increased hardships for Palestinians, particularly in the West Bank. Uh I just have one comment to make on the radicalization opinions, both in uh, Israel uh, and uh, among the Palestinians. Uh, you know, extremism mm -hmm. taken over, I think, by uh, by far, you know, since October 7, uh, both societies are being mobilized uh, into uh, fight them until the very last man standing kind of situation. 
Uh, and this is, uh, you know, uh, some senior people, including the Israeli prime minister, who came um, on uh, public, uh, uh, in a public statement, say, you know, uh, recalling uh, from the Bible, uh, the Jews fight against Amalek, um, which incidentally, you know, brings in the religious element and aspect of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, uh, to which there is no two-state solution, and in my opinion, there is no solution. Uh, that is uh, where, uh, you know, uh, if you recall uh, Amalek, uh, you know, on the on the on the other side, uh, there are those who actually believe uh, that Judgment Day will not come until all Jews are killed. Uh, so, you know, if, we, if we're talking about this kind of mainstream and this kind of environment, then we're really doomed. And this is, I think, frankly, that this is a call, a last call maybe, uh, for all uh, people who believe in, in coexistence and human life as a value and in dignity and right and, 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 and justice uh, and the sense of, uh, you know, uh, reaching out to uh, a secure uh, and stable uh, environment for both people need to basically fight this uh, out. Now, you know, my colleague is talking about some thinking that would actually better, uh, uh, you know, offers and proposals to, uh, you know, come up with a political solution. M my thinking is that we need to start at one point. And this start, you know, it, it can be a gradual process. It doesn't have to be instant, immediate creation of a Palestinian state, but creating a different reality. So every day we wake up, we wake up to a new positive reality mm. with one step further towards a solution rather than being stuck in religious uh, faith, uh, ill-interpreted faith uh, uh, interpretations, uh, and basically taking both Palestinians and Israelis to uh, uh, to to a uh, two hells uh, reality. Uh, the the immediate answer to your uh, to to your uh, uh, question is, I think uh, you know we have uh, we have a, a situation that does not really take us. Uh, uh, closer into uh, you know uh, security calm or tranquility in the in the West Bank, we're actually you know moving towards uh, more pressure and more force that is being applied uh, against the civilian population. Uh, Hamas's popularity, uh, uh, I think, is uh, uh, incidental as a response to the emotional frustration of the footage that comes out of Gaza. It's not, yes. you know, this is not an ideological support for Hamas. It's actually a, a, an expression of venting and sentiments, uh, 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 again, of frustration and anger for what's happening and the sense of being victimized and punished for without having been, you know, necessarily part of what has happened. Let me ask you, when I hear you say that uh, possibly something more fundamental than a political solution is urgently re uh, needed right now, is that why you told The New Yorker, I'm just reading the quote here, we are in a very bad moment of our conflict to the point that I think the problem now is not only about making peace after this war, we are even below the level of accepting each other's right to exist. I, I do believe that firmly, yes. Because, you know, again, as I told you, I watch uh, uh, almost extensively Israeli media. And, I, you know, one of the things that I actually hear is that people mainstream justify what happens in Gaza in terms of the excessive number of people that have been killed, civilians that have been killed, by actually saying, oh, it doesn't really matter. They are Hamas supporters. I mean, there is, there is a level, the scary level 
of uh, mainstream mobilization against each other. And, and uh, you know, and I'm not acquitting, you know, on the Palestinian side, it's the same thing. Like, you know, uh, the, the idea is that we need to fight and need, we need to fight until end of days is actually growing mm. uh, uh, momentum. And the problem is that it's growing momentum across the younger generation. And by the way, the Palestinian people are, you know, 70% of Palestinians are below the age of 40. It's a very young, mm. you know, generation. So those people have no concept of uh, previous attempts to actually create peace. They just were born into a reality of occupation yeah. and they continue to experience it. And as such, all of the sentiments are re really being, being built that way. And there are no leaderships on neither side to actually steer them away from it by creating an alternative reality that works. Mm. That That is, I think, you know, what is missing. I don't expect the Palestinian people one day to wake up and basically say, oh, we just want peace. We give up. We can't really fight anymore. That's not going to happen. And the thing is the same thing on the Israeli side. They would continue to, I think, you know, uh, now, especially after the October 7 attacks uh, and the experience, the trauma that the Israeli society has experienced under that, they would continue to think that, you know, only force and more force is what is going to protect us. And it's a doomed, you know, fate for both sides. Right. Well, you know, um, I just going back for a moment to the... Uh, the um, re movement restrictions that have been uh, further strengthened on Palestinians in the West Bank. I, I want to note that it's it's also possible that I, I think the IDF has said that uh, that part of their uh, intention with that is to uh, restrict the movement of anyone associated with Hamas in the West Bank and to find them. So that is another uh, just a, a point of view and, sta and stated intention um, from uh, Israeli security forces. But in the last few minutes, and we only have a few minutes left, I want to actually just take a minute to hear from quickly from both of you your assessment on the United States and its use and its influence in this situation right now. I mean, Professor Klein, just quickly... Has the U.S. been, you know, effective at all? And if so, if not, what more should it do? I I try to find the basic question that I ask myself is how we get out from where we are and where we want to go. What? <clears throat> I am afraid that the these questions are not seriously dealt with in the American administration. They they want only the immediate and the very very practical to uh, to be implemented, and that's it. They don't look behind the next week. <clears throat> oh, sorry. And what we need is a far-sight perspective, an administration that have a vision, and then tell the sides, this is our vision, and we will work to implement it with you. We will work closely with you, and we will do everything to get there. This is not done by Biden administration, and as any other American administration, the Biden administration is also pro-Israeli. It's too close to Israel, too biased uh, by, by Israeli interest. And 
is not using the tough love that a, a mediator should use in order to reach an agreement. Mm. Well, Ibrahim Dal-Alsha, you ha- we have about 30 seconds remaining. Uh, you've worked closely with the U.S. government, very closely with the U.S. government in the past. You, I know you want the U.S. to exercise more real leverage in this situation, but what leverage is that? I, I think, frankly, yes, I, I did work with the U.S. administration uh, for 20 years of my lifetime. And I, I, I think that, uh, frankly, the main uh, change needs to come uh, from within the Palestinians and Israelis. So advocates of coexistence and, uh, you know, whatever political solution can we agree on, I think that the U.S. will actually come and uh, uh, support and make happen. The I think the, the leverage that I actually uh, was... Uh, uh, you know, referring to is to stop the current, uh, you know, uh, war in uh, in Gaza uh, and to get us back on a track where we can uh, go back to our senses, uh, both as Palestinians and Israelis. I don't think that the U.S. can actually impose a solution. I think it can help us reach a solution. Uh, but the main job needs to be done by both societies, the Israelis and the Palestinians. Well, Ibrahim Dal-Alsha is the director of the Horizon Center for Political Studies and Media Outreach. That's in Ramallah in the West Bank. And Menachem Klein is Professor Emeritus at the Bar Elon University in Israel. He's in Jerusalem. Gentlemen, I thank you both. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point.